what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips of popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast With the other Jason Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason And as if you listen to this The day it's released Today is the last day you can send me an entry Today, October 20th is your last day to enter the October initiative. So if you haven't sent me an entry, get it in. Let me know your favorite initiative system and why and your least favorite initiative system and why. And your name will be thrown in the hat. We're going to draw one random name to get a $20 drive through RPG gift certificate and a $25 donation to charity of your choice. But this show isn't about that. This show is a mailbag episode. And since a lot of these questions involve Twilight 2000, I decided to get the GM of that game on the show with me. Carl Rodriguez, the GMologist, presents. Carl, how are you doing today? I'm doing great this morning. Great. Glad I did to want to add here. something about that. Ask a question about that initiative. Initiative. Uh huh. Can I add? Okay, I will ask it. So, um, if you send in more than one entry, you get more than one entry. No, you, your name will only get entered once. If you send okay. in more than one entry, I'll play all the entries sent in. Each name only goes in the in the random generator. Okay, because I already I, I'm just wondering if I had to like quickly fig, figure out another entry or a bunch or complain about a lot of initiative systems, but I don't. I already complained enough. Okay, but feel free to folks feel free to send in as many thoughts as you want, but each each entrant each person will only be entered in the in once for the for the prize, cool. and it's a random it's a random prize. So we need that clarification because I know some some of these gamers will game the system. Yeah. Although, unless they hear listen to this episode, <laughs> the, the day I release it, they'll be too late to. You can always send me entries after the contest too. You, you just won't affect you know getting the prize. But you, you're always welcome to send in thoughts on initiative or thoughts on any anything to my show, and I'll be happy to play them. In fact, speaking of thoughts people sent in, let, let's open up the mailbag, Carl, and, and right. we're going to open up with some calls from you. So let's dive into that who's on the phone who's on the phone who's on the phone who's on the phone well maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse but the operator scream is coming from inside the house Hey, Jason, I love your creepy mailbag Christmas story. The year that I learned that there was no Santa Claus, so we looked through the Sears Robot catalog, and um, they had like all, yeah, I don't know if you remember they had like the NFL helmets in them, and I'm I was a Patriots fan. I don't know why I was a Patriots fan, and I wanted like a Steve Grogan jersey and a Patriots helmet, you know, with the 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 Minuteman hiking the, the football, right? So that's what I asked for. And what I got was a Buffalo Bills helmet. And I still, I did get the Steve Grogan jersey, but then I was like, I guess Santa Claus messed up. But Santa Claus doesn't messed up, mess up. And it led to a confession from my dad that, well, you know, we messed up and we couldn't find the helmet. I was like, oh man, so Santa Claus doesn't exist. All because I learned, well, because they screwed up it's a heck of a way to learn Santa Claus doesn't exist, Carl. I know it is traumatic that I got a, a Buffalo Bills helmet instead of a New England Patriots helmet. Good thing that they got the jersey right. I would not have wanted the O.J. Simpson jersey, although I guess they're probably worth a lot on eBay. Yeah, right I was going to say, yeah, the O.J. Simpson jersey might be might have been worth it now. You could you could buy a bunch of, of old gaming stuff with, with the money you get from selling it. <laughs> I know. 
So yeah, it's kind of weird, right? It's like I think that's like a rite of passage when you're growing up. Um, is uh, I don't know if the rite of passage, but it tends to happen. You hear it a lot. Like, when did you learn that Santa Claus didn't exist? Right, um, definitely. Um, and, and, or as a parent, when do you tell your kids that? Right. You know, he doesn't exist, and how do you how do you break? Do you let them find out on their own, or do you um, you break it to them? That's that's a yeah, conundrum. Um, that's true. The, the, the reason for that call, folks, is I had mentioned I got Amazon's holiday catalog, and Amazon's holiday catalog reminds me people of, you know, in our age or 40s, 50s, you're probably going to remember the Sears, in America at least, will remember the Sears Robux Christmas catalog that has pictures of toys and things on the top of the page and then the ordering information at the bottom of the page. And Amazon has copied that format, no doubt intentionally. With this holiday catalog, they mailed out to people a physical copy. And um, Carl, you said you got one of these Amazon catalogs. Yeah, well. I got one too. I was like, I heard that Jason got one. Why didn't I get one? Actually, it was sent to my wife, not to me. But uh, uh, yeah, we got at least we got one in the household. So yeah, but but they're definitely going for that Sears yeah, vibe. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, you can totally tell. But that's yeah, cool. Was, you know? I think yeah, it, I think it, uh, not, there is something to be said about marketing nostalgia. Oh, 100%. I mean, well, look at things like Stranger yeah. Things and, you know, all these shows that are, you know, are pushing the nostalgia angle, right? The, the, uh, all these ret clones coming out from, uh, for games that we played in the 70s and 80s, right? So, yeah. Although I wonder, you, you, that's an interesting topic and, and that's a rabbit hole. Maybe we shouldn't go down right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if, if Wizards of the Coast had just left the originals out for sale, you, you know, would we have the bloat of retro cones we we have now? We might because we still had, you know, the SRD and the, and they released the license, the open gaming license for people to make stuff. But that said, if for a long, the fact you couldn't buy them for a while definitely spurred the creation of a number of these systems. Yeah. So, but well, look everyone how we tied that in. Here's robot catalog to nostalgia to old school games. That's right. It, it's like we're professionals or something. Um, which I'm not, by the way, Carl's a professional. You should go listen to his podcast, The Jamologist Presents, if you want to hear things like unboxings. In fact, Carl has something to say about unboxings. Okay. So you're saying I shouldn't do more, do no, I should not do any more unboxings? Okay, no more unboxings. Thanks for the suggestion. We should pass it on to Daniel Norton too, because that's where I got the idea to do unboxings, I think, or was it from this show? Not sure. Anyway. No more unboxings. Thanks. So that comes I'm, Go ahead. Of course, I'm not going to listen to that advice. I'm going to do unboxings because they seem fun. And I, I don't try to just like open a box. I think you are similar in that vein and that at least you give an overview of the product that you're opening or you share your excitement about the product or how you're going to use it downstream, um, whether to play or to, to crib ideas from. And I think Daniel does too. You know, So we're just kind of tongue-in-cheeking it, right? Right. And I have nothing about unboxing. In fact, I do unboxings quite a bit and I'm still doing unboxings. The, I, I was making, I made a comment on an earlier episode, folks, about, you know, not letting the unboxings overwhelm the episode because I threw like three unboxings in one episode recently. But it was kind of tongue in cheek. I definitely hope people keep doing unboxings. Of course, Tim Shorts over at Gothridge Manor is, you know, maybe the king of this. So he goes, he, he goes to the post office and he talks about the packages on the way home in the car and then he opens them up or sometimes he opens them up there at the post office and he, he does a great job especially when ivy hops on with him and discusses them so yeah, yeah. I, i'm a big fan of unboxing that's an idea that's a good idea maybe i can get amy to jump on with me if we get a, something like a cthulhu thing or something from one of the other games she likes it's a good idea yeah having the back and forth talking about it's always yeah. helpful um now the next thing we're going to talk about is where I talk, we're going to get into some Twilight 2000 talk. Okay. And I had mentioned that I think the, well, I think all Twilight 2000 rule systems are clunky. So I think the original system by Games Design Workshop was a clunky system. And I think that although when we were kids playing, well, we were in high school, out of high school playing that, but, but still it was clunky back then. And I think the Twilight 2000 rules that Free League has out, the fourth edition are a little bit clunky. And I mentioned that on my show and then Carl called in some responses. So let's hear what Carl thinks about me thinking Twilight 2000 is clunky. Hey, Jason, commenting on your comment about Twilight 2000 and its clunkiness. 
I think it does well with skills. Like if we're just rolling skills like manipulation or driving or whatever, it works really well. It's just your attribute dice and your skill dice and you bump up a dice or lower a dice depending on any difficult modifier situation or advantage you might have. But uh, combat, it just there's a lot of moving parts in combat and I think... Um, I feel like the new player was getting it, and I had to slow down and explain it. But it just seems that there, it just uh, if you don't do combat a lot, um, you're gonna forget how to do things, and that seems to me that uh, some players aren't taking advantage of uh, of what they can do with combat, and it makes them less effective. I don't know if that's a frustration or not. Added to the complication of this session was also that we were using uh, vehicle combat, vehicle rules. I had prepped for it when we were going to do the uh, the uh, hypothetical tank battle, but, you know, it's been a while, so I wasn't up on it, and I apologize. Uh, plus, my brain is still kind of fried from the weekend. But, uh, yeah, I think that added complication made it a little slow, and um, I think part of that's my fault. I need to have all my tools uh, at hand. And, uh, yeah, we just need to do more combats. Not, I think it'd be easier. Even when it's just people to people, it's probably a little easier. I think we were doing it all in our heads and maybe that wasn't communicated so well. Maybe a map is better for this game. Not sure, but uh, I think we'll play with it and it'll be less clunky. And I think really, um, the players gotta know what to do, honestly, as well as I. I think that's a good point that system mastery is important that players need to, when it comes to their turn, they shouldn't be asking, well, how do I shoot and what do I do? They should understand the basic rules, you know, what, and they should know the kind of actions their character should take, you know, and, and they should decide what they're going to do. Hopefully, before, I mean, it's a dynamic situation, so you might not know exactly what you're going to do. until the previous person goes, because if they shoot the guy you're about to shoot, then you might have to change your action. But de definitely I think system, Maybe not system mastery, but system familiarity is important, right? Right. And I mean, and I mean, the exception would be like if this is a teaching game or like a convention game where no one's coming and played, you do have to take the time to explain things. And then, of course, it, in the front end, as a get for a game like that, you would shorten the adventure because you know that's going to be built in. But I think after I mean, we played for like at least two months, right? It seems like well, since your birthday, so yeah. yeah, so July, August, yeah, like three months. I know it's bi-weekly, and we've missed some, but but we played for about three months. So you, so I think there needs to be some familiarity, and yeah, you know, sometimes things are slow. I think something I'm going to do, for example, is probably you know instead of trying to look up all those tables on Roll Twenty that I have posted, I'm just going to print them out so I have them at hand, for example. But mm -hmm. I think uh, you know we need to need to really maybe that's a good thing to do at the beginning of the session to say hey does everyone know how, anyone everyone know how to do this let's go through your character sheet again and make sure you know how to do this because i mean people learn at different paces people have different ways of processing uh things so um so yeah let's let's uh let's try to help help the players be more effective help the players be more engaging in the game and me as a gm just have the things prepared but yeah it is it is there is a lot of there's a lot of granularity in this, in this game when it comes to combat. I would say like the skills thing is again, like I said, is pretty easy. Um, even travel, travel again is a bunch of roll is rolls and then what, what's the effect? So it's kind of table like. Um, but combat definitely, you know, it's not just the, it's not just rolling the dice. It's you know, are you going to if you have an automatic weapon, there's another something else to consider. Uh, there's a uh, you know, are you going to suppress fire or actually sh you shoot at targets you know so and then vehicle, there's special dice with special icons that mean yeah. special things and yeah yeah, yeah. so so yeah. yeah it's a complex system so I, I feel like uh but i feel like you know and that in this session in particular we did spend a lot of time um with the with the uh, interrogation scene and i think it was just taken up by combat um, right so. well it's funny you mentioned that and by the way folks carl talks has other ideas on the clunkiness of the system and how it's not really, and he does that on his podcast. So I'm going to, instead of taking all of his thunder here on my show, I'm going to link to that episode of his podcast where he discusses this as well. But it's, it's good that you brought the interrogation scene up, Carl, because we have some calls from Daniel Norton 
mm-hmm. where he talks about that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just play these four calls from Daniel. He's going to bring up a couple points and then we can dis- we, we, we can discuss it. So let's listen to the dulcet tones of Daniel's melodious voice. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Bandit's Keep. Uh, enjoyed your last episode and the recap and everything. Twilight 2000. Hmm. Are you guys playing like just very hardcore or is that the vibe of the setting? I guess would be my question. Uh, you know, I get that they were bad people, but generally speaking, popping a prisoner in the head after you interrogate them is not <laughs> not what the quote good guys do. So I'm curious about that, if that's just something that, that that's just your group or if you feel like that's inherent in the setting um, that it should be played that way. Not should, but you know, saying that is that why it's coming out that way? Uh, the other question I have is about the people whose characters are being played when they're not there. Uh, I mean, I know you said you try to keep them out of danger, but what if they do die? And I asked specifically because this happened to me in the game. I was in a long campaign. I played my character for like nine months and I missed one session. I came back and my character had died. And yeah, I mean, that's, (laughs) it's not cool. You know, I don't care if my characters die normally in a game, but if I leave and come back and they're dead, that's a little bit uh, effed up. I suppose the other thing, too, is that it seems like maybe based on what you said, you guys had discussed that ahead of time. Uh, in this case, it wasn't really discussed because nobody I don't think I might have been the first time somebody had missed. I might have been the first person to miss a uh, game. So they just decided that was what they were going to do without me there. And I don't know. Again, I didn't feel like it was a cool thing to do to somebody. Um, you know, that's where, you know, the ripping off the arm instead of killing them, dragging thing with Gygax. Like, you know, you asked before, when would you do something like that? Yeah, I don't think I would allow a, a player's character to die without them there. The only way I might allow that is if somehow the party did something absolutely stupid and it was a TPK because then you'd be starting over anyways. So, but like to have the, especially if it's the only character that dies is the, is the player that's not there. That's just not cool. Even if it's not. uh, And in in my case, I just want to say quickly that the, it's not like they played my character crazy. It was like a saving throw thing. So, you know, it's not like they tried to kill my character, but at the same time, uh, like I say, effed up. So some who are listening to this might be thinking, Daniel, possibly even you, Jason. Well, what do you do then? Because clearly sometimes players must not be there, right? Yeah, exactly. They're not. And when a player cannot show up, I know it doesn't make sense in the narrative. It's not whatever realistic, but I just have their character not be there, which means two things. One, that they can't die. And two, that they cannot use their resources. So if somebody's if a player's character has such and such magic item it's not like the party can be like well you know bob's character had that so we'll just use it it's like no 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 if they're not there and risking themselves they don't get to use any of their special stuff either so that's just how i do it it's like they were never there i know it's not realistic but i play a lot of fantasy so <laughs> i don't really worry about it too much uh in that case because i just again i think i said this before and the other thing it's like you learn to be a a good i'll call good dungeon master by having bad things happen to you and since I felt like crap when somebody killed my character when I wasn't there, I wouldn't do that to somebody else. And I guess, uh, you know, as the internet is an anchor, I will give a disclaimer. I'm not saying anybody's doing anything wrong or that they should change it. I'm just curious as to uh, the mindset or if anybody has died when somebody's not there. Or uh, I'm assuming, based on how you said it, that it was discussed. So, again, I don't think it's really an issue at that table. But I'm not so sure I'd be cool with that, to be honest with you. But the game itself sounds really cool. I, I like the setting, except it's a little darker than I would normally want to play a game, especially in a campaign. And uh, you say it's crunchy. I haven't looked at the, the mechanics. So, you know, diff, 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 people feel differently about different types of mechanics. So I'm not really sure. I wasn't in love with the cyberpunk uh, Friday Night Firefight system, but it does look pretty cool. Um, I mean, but I don't mind crunchy sometimes. Uh, as, as mentioned before, my favorite game was Top Secret back in the day. And that is lots and lots of math there. Math secret. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. Re- really quickly, Daniel's talked in the past when he mentions a darker setting. He prefers his post-apocalypse to be all the bad stuff is over and the players are rebuilding a happy new world. Maybe not a happy new world, but you know that that's more what he's looking at. So closer to like a gamma world or something like that, where this is you're you're still in the apocalypse. Effectively, this Twilight 2000 is not post-apocalypse. You're you're still living through the bad parts like Mad Max. Right. So that, that's what he's talking about there. And I think that's just a preference thing. The crunch, I think we talked about, but he brings up two really interesting points. The morality of our players or of our characters, right. not the players, but the morality of the mm-hmm. characters. And then the conundrum of what to do when a player isn't there, especially in an right. ongoing game like this. 
Yeah, so let's take the first one, the first question, you know, playing playing hardcore, he calls it, which is ironic coming from Daniel, Spike Heel to the face, Norton, right? So, um, but yeah, I think it is a morally gray world. I mean, the, the players, characters are survivors of a recent battle where, where you know, their, their unit got the shit kicked out of them by, you know, Polish and Soviet forces. We can cuss on the show, right? So, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I'm going to keep cussing them, but, yeah. uh, you know, they're, so they're survivors and they're mostly American forces with some hangers on. They met, uh, your character a little later, like a couple days after the battle, the big battle of Kalitz and uh, they've been trying to survive. So it is morally gray because they want to, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're not necessarily heroes, although they're, they're the protagonists of the story. Right. So, and this is very similar to a lot of, war stories or apocalyptic tales that we see on in the movies and on TV. I mean, I would say characters in Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers are, you know, we feel they're good people, maybe because we have a bias because they're American, but they kill people just the same, you know, I mean, and, and, but they dwell on it. Like if you, I'm going to, Band of Brothers has been out for a while, so I don't think this is a spoiler. When Captain Winter's you know, in, in Holland at the dikes, um, at the crossroads in that episode, you know, he comes across a guy going, you know, a young man, you know, just standing out in the open and he shoots him. And you think that's he's shooting an innocent, so innocent person who's unarmed, but it's war. And, you know, Winters kind of dwells on it constantly. So, you know, it, it, it bothers him and he takes a, a very non-heroic action in that case. Right. So, yeah, and I think there's a, a distinction here too. So, the the people that we interrogated and, and, and killed here in this last session that that kind of triggered Daniel's call weren't enemy combatants per se. They weren't part of an organized arm. I mean, there's still some organized armed forces, right? So the Soviet army is still kind of together, and you have you know people that are still kind of playing by the rules. We think maybe not, but they weren't that. These are marauders. These are outlaws. These are guys that are running around. They were the the group that we were in question was actually on their way to a farm to, you know, probably molest and violate kids and then sell them into slavery effectively. Right. So, I mean, these are good people. Yeah. I mean, we, the characters didn't totally know that until later they interrogated them, but they found that out. So these aren't good people. And and my character believes that they're part of the group that, you know, came through and murdered (laughs) his family. You know, it's kind of like an outlaw Josie Wales kind of backstory. Right. So, you, you know, it, we're we're talking about really criminals that that we're executing, and there's no like law in this world. There's no like jail to turn these into. We can't turn them over to the sheriff or the marshal. And if you let them go, they're just going to go prey on other people. So right. it's a it's a tough. And and if you keep them now, you're using your supplies to feed them, and it you know. So really, it, it's a tough thing. And and yeah, it is a gray world. It's a hard world. And I don't know that there may be other solutions, but you know, in that point, I, I think the characters did what they thought was best. Right. But that's what makes the game interesting is dealing with these mm-hmm. kind of decisions. And right. no and doubt we're going to have to answer that. We're about to go into Krakow, and we're going to. And this group is is a presence in Krakow, right. so we might have to answer for what we did when we get in there. And that that might be an interesting thing too, as we get into faction play, as we go right. into this Casablanca like city with all these different factions in the city so that's going to be interesting yeah you definitely can't go in guns blazing i think the characters realize that and i think during play too you know it's we do we do stop or i know we did stop in this game and say is this okay with all with all the player characters right and it it, no one even if they're and they have different moral codes there's actually not necessarily a mechanic but it's part of your character is what is your moral code what is your big dream right those are two important things and you gain experience if you uh, go against or promote your moral code or go towards your big dream, that's how you advance. And um, much like Burning Wheel and other games, which I think is kind of cool. But, but you know, and the characters have different moral codes. And yes, it's a dark and gray world. But, you know, we ask those questions. Hey, is this cool with you? Is this cool with your player character? If it's not, are you going to do anything? And then, you know, if they don't say anything, well, then we press forward. And yes, there are consequences. And I think a great example <clears throat> is in 
I know it's not going to, not everyone's going to get this reference through the comics or the show, but in Walking Dead, you know, the, there is also morally gray. Rick and Rick and his and the survivors are are the, the protagonists, but they're not necessarily heroic, and they do do things where they act murder hoboey, and it comes back to bite them. So you know that could happen in this particular game. We'll see. Like like uh, Jason alluded to, you know, they they may have. I know they didn't. Well, they do have one one person with them. But uh, who they didn't kill in that group um, of it, that they interrogated. But uh, you never know. You know, never know how this could get back to the 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 big bad marauder group. Right. Right. And, and we've captured <clears throat> effectively. They did a raid before where we freed some American PWs, right. and we got a, lo- a local doctor kind of got swept in the group, and we returned him to his town. So we're not right. like killing everything and moving on or anything like that. Yeah, they even let a they even let an alleged cannibal go free because they're like, how are we going to feed him? What are we going to feed him with? I don't want yeah, him should, to take any more resources. Yeah, so they, just, you know, him. <laughs> they just left them. They just kind of left them tied to a tree and with some supplies nearby and no weapons and left. So. Yeah, we should have just killed him. I wasn't there that session. I don't think when, he, when they let him do that. <laughs> but anyway, that's not. The, but but yeah, it's 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 definitely a darker world than some worlds. Yeah. But it's yeah, not it comes down. Yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. But <clears throat> but so yeah. But but like Carl said, it's it's something we discussed before the game too. We effectively had the session zero discussion of what's off limits and what's not, and are you okay with this? And when we're talking about interrogation torture here, you know, we're we're effectively using I don't know what the right term is, but you know, you're fading the black, that kind of thing. We're not like going into depth. I'm pulling each fingernail out one by one. You know, we're not doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's not like we're getting off on this, but it's I mean, you've got to. We're in the game. You're in that situation. What would your character do? And we're trying to play it out. But it's definitely a mature game, without right. a, without question. Um, yeah. So, but keep asking questions. I think that's good for us. You know, if you keep asking questions, you hear a recap. You're like, well, how do the character? How do the players more importantly react you know, to what the characters did? I think that's kind of a, a cool discussion. That right. Dope. And the interesting thing too is my wife plays, so she's right there. So you know, if anyone I feel would ha- would be my moral compass, she is. So. <laughs> maybe amy actually is one of the <laughs> she, she doesn't have a big problem killing these guys either so no, i, I no, don't know no. but i mean <laughs> but her character is right her character has probably suffered the most you know from these marauder incursions around the country since she is from she's like a local she's a local partisan from poland so right you know yeah, she's, definitely. she's a she's taking that to heart for her character yeah. but but you know it's interesting you mentioned how it affects the players and that leads into daniel's second the second question we're going to really dive into here, right. and that's the idea of using a character when the player is not there. Right. So I think my my rule is, because I've just heard pros and cons about it, and I, this is how I lean. If the player is not there, we'll ask the player if we can use their character as an NPC. And that player needs to give approval. If that player gives approval, sure, no problem. Then we'll use that those players, that player, and those players' resources, and uh, we'll try to keep them out of harm's way. But again, you know, it, you never know how the dice will roll, and I think the players know that in the back of their minds. They're hopeful, and we I would never try to like, you know, randomly kill someone like what happened to Daniel. He's traumatized by it, clearly. Um, so we try. We would do our best not to do that. And if it was like a save or die thing, well, you know. We just we try not to get into that situation. But I do ask the player's permission. I think it's important for the cohesion of the group and for me, the verisimilitude of the gang. I don't like this fade in, fade out. It makes no sense to me. So I, I can't really process that um, in my mind to make me enjoy the, the game. Um, so that's that's where I stand with it. So uh, So in this game, we have asked players who are not present if we can use their characters and they're generally in agreement, we can, right? And eventually like, for example, some players played like one or two times and are like, probably not gonna come back. Um, most, and you know, someone said, we're not, I'm not coming back. It was just a special thing. So then those become, go back into the NPC pool and then we've had a new player join, for example, and he just takes one of those. So, um, and then at the same time, if anyone ever wants to join, we have now like a whole host of unnamed ex, American, you know, people that they rescued from a, from being POWs. So, you know, yeah, it's so a big convoy. 
Right. And so people, can, you know, you kind of think like wagon train, right? People can fade in the back and each session focuses on the players whose characters right. are there. But if the mm-hmm. whole convoy drives through a radiated, you know, area with, you know, radiation, then every everybody, whether they're there or not, has to roll to see, you know, if they have negative effects from radiation. It just is what it is because, mm-hmm. but again, all the players, this was a discussion that we had. So it's not, we're not doing this without people's knowledge. You, right. you know, that that's the important part. I think what, what the big thing with like Daniels, there was never that discussion. Right. So that, and then yeah, you should yeah. have that discussion. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we, but we don't take like Arlen Walker's character. Arlen wasn't at this last session. He, and so his character, we didn't use him, like bring him down to hand to hand fight or do anything like that. But he normally mans a 50 caliber machine gun on the M113 armed personnel carrier. So because that personnel carrier was in combat, we used his character's attributes to roll. You know, we had his NPC, his characters and NPC shooting the 50 caliber machine gun because that's what he does. And he ended up killing like half of the <laughs> most of the combat deaths were hit, were hit from him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it, which is fine. It's not a big deal. But we didn't like intentionally put him in harm's way. But it would it, it it just makes sense in the game and in the game world for this to happen. Yeah, and actually for advancement, um, we have to remember this because there are some some tick marks. Like if you travel a hex, or if you're engaged in a deadly combat, or or like in Ronson's case, one of his uh, drives is I'm always going to get myself in a position to use my gun to help the, the group. So, you know, something like that. So he's going to, we've got to backtrack that and make sure that if we use them, they get the XP that they're afforded. Right. I think we, that's something I just thought of, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Which we, is interesting. There's different ways to do that. I know Shandy Andy was running a BX game right. that, that I joined in for a while. Or was it BX or OSC? Anyway, he was running. Was OSC. Was, yeah. And, but we were playing and, yeah, because you were in that game a little bit too. Yeah, I was in and, that for a little bit. But I got yeah, what he d- he would do is if the players were there, they got full experience. If the player wasn't there, then the characters got half experience because all the characters were there the entire time. And yeah. basically other players would play them. And the gentleman's agreement or general person's agreement, I guess, would be that you you wouldn't intentionally put somebody else's character in danger, but they, they were but they didn't fade out. They, they were still in the game. So, but they still gain experience as well. Kind of like what Carl's right. talking about with, with our own character. And I think, again, this is a session zero discussion that, you know, you just have to have with your group and, and decide before the campaign starts. It, it's nothing you pop on somebody. It, it's got to be agreed on. But I guess we could agree that if Daniel was playing in our game and he got stung by it, and he wasn't there, and his character got stung by a giant bee, we wouldn't just let him die. No, we would do our best to save him. He might turn into like a, a wasp woman bee creature, yeah. but right. you know, with spiky heels, right? With spiky heels. But you know, speaking of 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 horrors like that, we're going to go to a call from Joe Richter of Hindsightless, uh-huh. who has a comment. So, and he has actually, I've actually sent. Well, let me play the call and then I'll I'll comment. Okay. Yeah, Jason, you you were talking about the supplements out there to make cyberpunk 2020 added some more supernatural elements. And I don't know how you feel about GURPS. I've never played GURPS, but there is an amazing looking GURPS supplement out there. That is Cthulhu meets cyberpunk. So you can go at deep ones with like a friggin' mono katana or go at Cthulhu with like an auto shotgun and shit. Looks pretty badass. Maybe Barry, Maybe Barry will have to run that. Run that, Barry. Run it. So I, when he mentions Barry, he means the Shadow of the GM podcast. Yeah. Barry, who's on a lot of these GM Shadow. I have forwarded this message to Barry, Joe. So go, watch out for a, maybe he'll address this in a future show. Um, it, we played a game that's kind of like this, Carl, when we ran. Well, when you ran Mutant Chronicles. Mutant Chronicles mixes that kind of horrors and, and high tech. Kind yeah, of vibe, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I don't. I've never played uh, Cthulhu Punk or seen the book. Really, I now we'll have to look it up. But I've done something similar with Cthulhu Tech, whereas like you know, you fight the great old ones and their minions in space, and you you're in a mecha and you try to kill Cthulhu with the mecha. I don't think that really works either. But you know, you can try. Messy idea. Right. Um, so it's not. It's that's a pretty cool concept. And you're right. It doesn't have to be 
you know, uh, Yog Sothery or, yeah. or Cthulhu Mythos. It can be, you know, just unnamed horror from another dimension, chaos, whatever. And that's kind of what Mutant Chronicles goes for, which is kind of cool, is you have this tech and then this chaos incursion. So, you know, in a way, I guess 40K is like that too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, effectively. Because Mutant Chronicles is kind of, let's be honest, Mutant Chronicles is kind of a spin-off, not a spin-off, but it's kind of a, you know, they, yes, they look at 40K. Of, yeah, derivative. Yeah. Yeah, without doubt. Um, yeah, I think I in like, Jess, I've, in Jess I've called it. 2.5k <laughs> well, well yeah because yeah because when you look at the tech level because you're in the what 21st 22nd century yeah, yeah, yeah. right so yeah. but i i enjoyed that game maybe someday we'll get back to that because because yeah, at least I, finish I, the adventure you know <laughs> yeah i, we I, I, I one really adventure like we were in the middle of another one where yeah. like like i think the first adventure was like a prelude to chaos the second adventure was like okay this is like the chaos incursion is happening and you know and they're like on luna city and ships are falling from the sky, you know, crazy crap is happening all over the place. Um, so, yeah, yeah well, well, maybe someday we'll get back to that. Um, I, yeah. I really like that universe. But he mentioned Cyberpunk 2020, mm-hmm. and this is a game that we're playing, and Daniel Norton's part of that game as well. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Norton, so let me set these calls, next set of calls up. I gave a session recap, and Daniel Norton called in, and I talked about rules a little bit, and he called in a little bit about questions about rules and then i answered those questions and now he's calling in with a, another round of questions so this first call has to do with the critical failures in cyberpunk 2020 it's a well you, you're all d10s and d6s but nor, but most of the rolls are d10s <clears throat> and on a when you roll one you automatically fail you, you miss or you fail your check one on one that's baked in the system now the dice do explode so if you're all 10 you're all again but on a one, you always fail. And and again, we shouldn't be rolling if it's not narratively interesting or, or it's you know not super challenging or something like that. If you're driving down the street every day, you shouldn't be rolling a die to do that. Um, but anyway, Daniel has a comment on, on this. A one is always a failure. So I'm going to play that call first. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Manitz Keep. Um, just to clarify, I didn't... I didn't mean to imply that you should change the way that we're running cyberpunk i think it's fine and i I don't think anybody else had a problem with it i don't really have a problem uh, in the sense that i would want you to house rule it per se i like to run games the way they're written at least at first that lets me know if i like the system or not and basically because of that i probably don't like the system you know i mean i probably just wouldn't run it there's a million other great systems so i would just not bother trying to house rule it myself i would just move on but you know that's me and other people probably like that stuff um, I just feel like if you are so skilled at something that you would hit without rolling, then it's, you should just hit. I mean, I wouldn't even have people roll, I guess. I guess that's the way I'd house rule it. But again, I'm not asking you to do that, nor do I want you to change it. Um, I think we're better off running the system the way it's written to see what we like and what we don't like about it. I never make house rules without running a system a bit. So I definitely, definitely would not ask you to change it. So if it came out that way, I apologize. Um, run it the way. Oop, got cut off and I'm not sure where. Anyways, I just want to say I'm really enjoying the game. And, and again, I don't expect or want, nor am I requesting you to change anything. I was just kind of, you know, it seemed like you were asking for feedback on the system from the players. And as somebody who's never played before, um, that was my initial impression. I would not make any house rule to start with. I would definitely run through this entire uh, scenario of, you know, four sessions or whatever. And then if we were to play again, you know, possibly have a conversation if we decide we want to change that or not, if it became a thing, you know. So, yeah, anyways, uh, awesome game as noted, and I look forward to playing, I guess it'll be one week from today. And now he has another set of calls we're going to get to here in a minute where he then talks about something he is okay with his house rolling. <laughs> but um, what, what do you think, Carl? I think it, it about the idea of, you know, you don't roll unless it's narrative interesting or there's a real chance for failure. But but I think there should be a chance for failure, even if you're the greatest. Even John Wick misses every now and then, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's so much... Ordin- I, mean, I mean, I think I probably talked about this or discussed this on Discord. I mean, 10% does seem like a lot because, for example, in other games, an automatic failure uh, where you can't dig out of it, like in Savage Worlds, two ones that you roll is like a 3% chance that you're going to get that on two dice, but, um, or less depending on the size of the dice, but, you know, 10% does seem like a lot, but then I think about, you know, the, 
how what, what kind of fiction this is based on and like John Wick, so much ordinance is sprayed around and there's so many misses and even more realistic um, shows. Like uh, I remember there was a CSI episode about a drive-by shooting where, you know, they, they counted like over 200 bullets and there were some hits because there were some accidental murders, but there's so many bullets and you know, so little of them hit that it does make sense that 10% of the ordinance that flies around is going to miss. So I, I'm okay with it after looking, you know, discussing it, but it definitely is more than most games. Cause even like in the D20 system, there's like a 5% chance that you're going to automatically fail as opposed to a 10% chance. So it's a little higher, but you know, they don't take into consideration necessarily things like recoil. So there's not as much, you know, so that is in a way factored into the 10% miss in my opinion, because other games of that genre, like Shadowrun, at least a fifth edition took into consideration recoil and that would have negative effects on your ability to, to hit and stuff. So yeah, it, it, this game kind of does. So you have a, there's a negative to additional shots and the higher yeah, recoil fire. weapons. When you look at it, like the very heavy pistol has one rate of fire. You can shoot mm-hmm. one every one shot every three seconds compared to the lighter pistols. You can fire two shots every three seconds. And, and so that's kind of taking an effect, the, the idea of recoil and trying to recover. You know, you fire yeah. that 44 Magnum, it's going to take a, a little bit longer to get a, those sights back on target than a 22, right? Or a nine millimeter. Yeah, and I think the system works because I like the multi-action penalty that are imposed to, you know, that kind of factors into that. You can do as, you can propose to do as much as you want, but, you know, the more things you do, the less chance you're going to have of succeeding in any of them which makes sense to me. Right. The, and, and, and folks, if so interlock is the system that our Orion game is used for cyberpunk 2020. There's also a fan hack called interlock unlimited out there online. You can find, and um, that fixes some of the perceived issues with the, with the game. Seth Swarkowski of internet fame and, and also an author. I've actually read some of his books. I, they're, they're pretty good urban fantasy. The ones I've read, he does some straight fantasy books as well, but, but he really likes the interlock system. He's used it for zombie games. And, and, and you haven't played, I know you've only played one session of this so far, but you can see how this worked really well for zombie games and games like oh, that. For, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's used it for Old West and even for fantasy sometimes. But so yes. another aspect of this game is the way armor works. Mm-hmm. And Daniel's call, next set of calls have to do with armor. And it's so we're going to play three calls here in a row. And he starts listening to my episode, then he calls in and then he listens more. And then he says, oh, Jason did talk about that. So you'll hear Daniel's thought process over these three calls. But effectively, in, in Cyberpunk 2020, if a if a, so the strongly recommended optional rule that you're supposed to play with, according to the book, is if a if a round penetrates through armor, then it should degrade the armor. I, I have a so there's two kinds of armor, soft armor and hard armor. Soft armor, the way I run the game. If it's hit by a bullet, it's degraded by one point. And hard armor is not degraded unless it's penetrated, at which point it's it's knocked down one point. Cyber armor is considered hard armor in this game for me. So that's the way I run it. And, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But each bullet impact is tracked separately. So if you have an 18 armor value and your handgun does 2d6 damage, you could fire 1,000 rounds at it, never penetrate it. With, unless you have some kind of way to degrade it, which is why. And soft armor also includes things like wooden doors and car bodies, stuff like that. So that's why I do that degrade, you know, that degradation of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to play Daniel's calls, and then we're going to get Carl to to weigh in here. Okay, I am not a gun expert, but I know that you said it's realistic. I don't think that sounds realistic at all. There is no chance in my mind that you would not hit close to or exactly the same spot if you were shooting somebody's vest, you know, with an Uzi unloading into it. So, uh, I don't know. I guess, again, I, that seems weird to me, but I guess I'm wrong. So, there you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think, I guess I guess I like your house rule then about the depletion. Because I do think, right, if you, maybe you could do something to the effect of if it does enough damage within a uh, combat round, then it depletes. Or something like that, as opposed to being penetrated, if that makes sense. So, anyways, I don't know. It's pretty cool. I, um, like I said, I kind of like the the crunchiness on some level of it. I feel like um, it's been fun and kind of exciting. But we're just going to end up shooting everybody in the legs because that's what you do, right? You 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 work around a system, <laughs> and that's not realistic at all because nobody's aiming at people's legs. 
well, I don't know. I mean, maybe you do shoot at people's legs. <laughs> Again, I'm not a gun person, uh, per se. I mean, I did serve in the armed forces and we were shot, taught to aim center mass. So you're shooting right at that vest. Um, that's the biggest target, right? That's where you aim. So, but it seems like in this game, you're going to want to shoot him in the leg because that's going to drop almost everybody unless they're like Iron Man or something, which again creates this weird thing that I guess is realistic, but I just don't see it. Um, so I don't know. I guess arguing realism about the game is really not. <laughs> I'm just going down that sidetrack that I sometimes do as I'm driving in the car, calling into the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So sorry to uh, hammer you with about this uh, realistic versus non-realistic uh, barrage because I really don't care. It's a fun game and I'm super enjoying it. So I don't want you to think that's the case at all. Just kind of pondering, I guess. Aha. So if I had finished listening to what you were saying, you would have said very similar to what I just said. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think the soft armor degrading makes more sense realistically. If we're taking realism as a thing, the aim shots, they expect you, I don't know. Again, that's weird to me, but Hey, whatever, I guess you're not soldiers. You're thugs. I don't know what you are in this game. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool though. I'm, uh, now I know to shoot at people's kneecaps, I guess that that's the way that you do it in this game. Again, though, I think that's kind of, and again, I don't, I'm, I'm, I know I am making a judgment. I was going to say, I'm not making a judgment, but I kind of am like when a game has that thing where it's like, Oh, well, we got to shoot them in the legs. That's the only way we're going to hit them. That just becomes silly to me. And then, so I think your solution is much better with the degrading armor. And also, um, what was I going to say about that? The degrading armor makes a lot of sense to me. So good. I'm, I'm kind of glad you did that. I was ruling. And if I were to run the system, then I think I would do that as well. Soft armor degrading every time it's hit. To be fair, you don't, if somebody say somebody's got an armor jacket on, you all, you can shoot them in the leg. You can shoot them in the arm. You can shoot them in the head. You, you're not stuck to just shooting them in the kneecaps, but right. anyway, Carl, I'll give, I've been talking a lot here. I'll give you a chance to get in. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I agree with your interpretation and, and I was kind of, well, Daniel was talking, I was Googling, you know, Kevlar degradation against bullet impacts. And that idea that there is a thermodynamic degradation from multiple impacts is true. It's, and it's basically what happens is like, there's this, you know, heat and, and pressure wave in front of a bullet and it tears apart the stitching of the Kevlar vest and it eventually rips it, you know, tears it apart. And some stitching is better than others. And there's definitely studies on it, but eventually it's happening with a lot of impacts to the same general area. I mean, it's not going to be in the same exact area, but in contrast, you know, hard armor, like the side of a tank is never going to be, it doesn't, it's not affected by that thermodynamics, right? So it's not it's cloth. It's not going to be burned or torn apart um, in that high speed reaction. So that makes sense. It makes sense to me. I mean, the question I had was, of course, you know, how you treat, you know, cyber armor, right? They're like, my character has internal composite armor. So, you know, and I think you were going to treat it as, as hard armor, right? Because that'd suck if you get shot all the time and it just degrades because it's so expensive to replace, right? So, yeah, honestly, there's, so there's two kinds of cyber armor in the game. Well, there's more, but the two kinds in the main book are there's armor, like hard armor you can have in your torso, which are almost like, like ceramic plates in your torso. And then there's like a, like a coating you have over your entire body that's a little bit less protective, probably the coating over your whole body should be treated as soft armor and the, and the, and just over your chest should be hard. But because this is a, you know, it's cyber armor and it's a game and you want it to be fun. I think it's better to just treat it as all hard armor for the cyber armor. Cause otherwise, like you say, you know, you, you've spent all this money gone through all this effect and it's not very good and that's not all that fun. So, I mean, we are going to kind of, you know, bend over a little bit because it's a game, right? And I think that makes sense. You call it the subdermal armor is what's yeah. on the torso. And right. then the um, skin weave is the armor that goes over your entire body. Yeah. So, but but I have no problem with it being, treating that as hard armor, like I say, because it benefit. Now, mind you, it's the same thing for the bad guys. So right. all the rules that apply to the PCs apply to the NPCs in this game. You know, we're not fair. playing favorites. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think. So I, I agree with that. I think it, it, and it's uh, scientifically sound, Jason. Very good. Yeah, well, they did a Mike Pondsmith is the you know lead designer for Cyberpunk, and, and he's a, a really smart guy. He's you know I really enjoy his games. He's done other game design for Arkells Orient, you know, mm -hmm. and he and I I think he they did a lot of research for this. They you know 
research FBI shooting statistics. And, you know, they, they really tried to make this uh, realistic, but still gameable. Because right. it, if you go too far down that realistic rabbit hole, you get to like Phoenix Command and stuff like that, right? And you get, which is kind of playable, but it's, you know, a, a lot. We talk about Crunchy. I don't know if you've ever. Millennium's End. I don't know yeah. if you remember Millennium's End. Yeah. Well, well, that is, yeah, Millennium's End, of course, famously is like Aces and Eights by Kenzerco. It uses a, a targeting thing where you have a bullseye yeah. and you kind of put that over the target. You have a silhouette of what you're shooting at and you put the bullseye overlay over that target then you roll the dice to see where on that overlay your bullet goes compared to where you're aiming which yeah that's realistic and it's fun but it takes a lot of time and it really adds yeah. to the like yeah, the time and then the the fight. depending on where the bullet hit it there's different types of damage that's crazy right. too. yeah i, I think this not, is yeah go ahead and it's not like it's not like an easy factor it's like 0. 0.33 0. 0.6 you know it's, it's weird it's not like fives and tens it's weird no you know it's a divisible by three things so, yeah, i remember yeah, it's becoming a lot pretty you need a calculator right <laughs> right where cyberpunk 2020 they, they try to balance realism with playability and mm -hmm. i think they do a good job the other part they do in here that, with that is you know once you start taking damage you start making stun saves and, and death you know you start making mm -hmm. and it degrades your ability your actions and i i think in a game where it's still playable i think this is about as complex as i'd want to go but i think the complexity is welcome because it, it makes it fights a lot more interesting. Yeah. So, but speaking of, of adapting things to a game, the other thing, especially in a cyberpunk game, a slightly futuristic game or a, a sci-fi game even is how technology looks and how much the GM should describe things compared to how much you let the players picture things in their minds. And, and I dropped the ball a little bit, but Daniel's going to call about that because the bad guys in the scenario, they came and tried to attack the players and they had cyber they had cybernetic eyes with video cameras built into them. And the idea was they were that way they could videotape them killing Joe's character, Rain, who was the, the main target. And then they could go back to their boss and he could see the video that they, you know, accomplished their mission. And but Daniel had some thoughts on that. So I'm going to play his calls and then we can discuss it. Well, no, when I say problem, I mean, I'm air quoting problem. Like, I don't think it's a problem problem. But for instance, in the camera thing, whatever, maybe it's in the book. I, I didn't look, so I can't really say. I was just throwing that out there as an idea. Like, if the camera in your mind is a tiny little thing hidden behind the eye that nobody can see, that's a much different situation than somebody with a giant camera attached to their head. Because first of all, the giant camera attached to their head, we would have seen, right? It would have been super obvious if there was like a lens in his eye, right? Whereas the tiny hidden one, you wouldn't see so that's what I mean by that. Like once people are on the same page about what things are like, then it becomes a little easier to go like, um, okay, well, I'm looking to see if this guy has a cyber eye because I know that it's a giant lens or something to that effect, right? I know that you mentioned like the bouncer, for instance, we all saw all kinds of weird cyber eyes, but did we not see it on the other guys? And I'm not criticizing or saying you did something wrong, but I'm saying in a sci-fi world, sometimes you got to consider those things. And it's true also in a fantasy world. I'm just saying in a sci-fi world, I think sometimes we already have things in our mind. Which is interesting, too, because uh, I don't know when it was because I'm so far backlogged. But Andy Goodman was saying about how why he played games that were like Call of Duty, basically, because they were like happening now or slightly in the future. And he didn't like other games because it was easier for him to imagine. I'm exactly the opposite. I find that modern games are the hardest for me to imagine because things change so quickly. I mean, I sometimes forget that like 10 years ago, the difference between the cell phone I have now and the one that I, that exists then. I mean, I can make phone calls on my watch now. You know, the technology goes so quickly that sometimes modern technology, we just don't, um, we're not all on the same, same page about what it looks like. Um, you know, I know there's a popularity of games that like, seem to be taking place in the 80s and you just see people play these games and you're just like, yeah, that wasn't what it was like in the 80s. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, not always, obviously. So in this case, so they encountered a bouncer in that adventure who had all cyberware exposed intentionally to make him more intimidating, you know, which makes sense. But in this case, if and Daniel mentioned he didn't look in the book. So when we look in the book, if I don't describe a, you seeing cyber on a character, that doesn't mean they don't have it. It just means it's hidden. Like you can have a cyber arm in this game and have skin that looks like real skin over it where you yeah. would never know they have a cyber arm. And. I'm going to read the description here for the cyber optics. 
this on page 86 of the book, cyber optics can look exactly like normal eyes, although there are a wide variety of fashion irises available. And then each cyber eye can have four um, add-ons built in things. And when we read about the the video camera, this is a cyber optic mounted video camera records its view in an internal videotape, 20 minutes. This recorder can be downloaded through interface plug to an external source. It takes up two option spaces. So just reading out of the out of the book, there's no reason you would see they have a cyber eye with a video camera unless they intentionally wanted you to, but it could be disguised to look normal, um, which is kind of what I was going with. So if I don't, dis- and that, this is an in-game discussion we, we need to have before the next session, but if I don't necessarily describe cyberware, that doesn't mean somebody doesn't have it. It just means it's not, they're not they're it's not in your face you, you know yeah that's that's kind of a thing in cyberpunk it's an option right whether you want it to be visible or not right so it's like my character has that synth weave so it's not really visible right that he has hardened armor underneath his skin in contrast that bouncer at the club was all chromed up right right which he wanted to do, which, you know, you yeah. might you might show off your cybernetics, A, is a fashion statement because fashion is big in this game, or you might show it off to be more intimidating, mm-hmm. or you or it might be exposed because you didn't have a whole lot of money, so you had to get the cheaper option. You right. had to get the fake skin that looks like rubber that doesn't look real, right? But that's the best you mm-hmm. could afford kind of thing, right? Well, you think about today, modern-day prosthetics mm-hmm. or prosthetics. You know, some look more real than others. And depending, right. unfortunately, it depends on how much you can afford to pay for it. Like mm-hmm. wigs, you, you know, you might have a wig made out of real hair. You might have, you know, something, a $20 wig that's, you know, obvious somebody has a toupee on, right? Yeah. It just, it, it just depends. Um, but that, 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 I'm glad Daniel called that in because that's a talk we'll have at the beginning of yeah. the next session because that's a, a talk we probably should have had, you, you know, before the game. That, that, that can did. prompt us to then look to see, to really scrutinize. If someone has like a, a hidden or not so obvious side, you know, cyberware, we can go, okay, well, does it look like they, like, is there a different shine in their eye? Does that, you know what I mean? For example. Right. Definitely. And, and alertness is a big thing or where, um, yeah, alertness is a big thing in this game. So yeah. you can definitely look and see like in this session, you guys noted, well, Joe's character noticed luckily that, you know, there was the light reflected off your drinks a little bit differently because somebody put broken glass in your drinks intermixed yeah. with the ice. So. Um, yeah, but Carl, thank you so much for joining me for yeah, this call, the mailbag the episode. End. Yeah, we did it. Um, Ooh. is there anything you want to plug? Um, not at the moment, just, uh, you know, I, I think I discuss a lot of these things, especially for Twilight 2000, as you mentioned from the Geomologist Presents. It'd be great if you guys come and listen and call in and comment. I, I definitely, as, as far as recaps go, the games I run, I kind of go, I don't just give a verbatim recap. I kind of go into maybe some of the behind the screen type stuff too. So that might be of interest to potential GM for these types of games. So, Yep. And there's a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to the specific episode where Carl talks about Twilight 2000 combat stuff. So, okay, Carl, thank you again, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I want to thank all my callers. Um, of course, this episode, we had Danny Norton, the bandits keep. We had Joe Richter of Hindsightless, and of course, Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the music, who Carl now has TJ Drennan yep. music as well on his show. I want to thank Ray Otis, who provides me the coffee cup clip art. And yeah, thank you for tuning in, folks. If you want to leave me feedback, you can leave a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. You attach an audio file to that, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. Or you can find me on a variety of discords. And Carl, same thing. You can call him on Anchor. You can find him on a bunch of different discords. You, you know, so reach out to us, engage with us. And yeah, it'll be fun. So I will talk to everybody later. Carl, thank you again. I'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. Okay, folks. Talk to you next time. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box?
box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, your butcher is a dustman and your moil is quite a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away, don't look away, don't look away, don't look away. Well, the zombies are rising and the 